Thank you for being back in God's house tonight. And uh, hadn't you enjoyed the singing by the choir and the specials? And uh, just being here in the presence of the Lord is just great in itself. And I want to encourage you again to be back in the service tomorrow night. And uh, go on Facebook, share the post, share the uh, messages if you can. And uh, that gets more response for your church site. And Greg Lynch Ministries, you can go there as well and uh, send those out. And uh, Elise will be making another banner that she'll put on there. And you can put on the church site that will talk about the meeting again tomorrow. And that will go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then we'll see what God has for us, okay? And uh, trust that God can speak to our hearts together. And uh, again, I want you to think about and uh, you can turn to the Old Testament tonight in Second uh, Chronicles chapter number 25. In Second Chronicles chapter number 25. And uh, in Acts chapter number 2, what is the word we've been dealing with over the last few days is that word suddenly. They were in one accord, that 120. Uh, filled with fright, that 120 filled with fear, that 120 filled with the folly of today's society became a 120 impacting the world with faith in the power and the presence of God. And when they got in one mind, in one accord, and in one place, it's that, that three connection, one mind, one accord, and one place, then suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as a voice of a mighty rushing wind and the Holy Spirit filled the house where they were at. And when he got done with them, the birthing of the church occurred and they left that upper room to impact societies for the glory of God. Now, what you've got to comprehend, there is not much mentioned about spiritual awakenings in the New Testament. Why is that? You ever thought about it? Because we're supposed to be in a spirit of awakening. We're never supposed to backslide. But because of circumstances, because of troubles, because of difficulties, we find the church so many times going back on what the Lord has done for us. And it's not the Lord leaving us, it's us leaving the Lord. And it's not us getting to the place where, uh, uh, you know, the Lord's standing just like he did in the church of Revelation where he's standing on the outside knocking, trying to get in because uh, that we've shut the door on him. And so what we've got to do is you go back into the Old Testament and you find the children of Israel how they much like picture us in the modern day church, how they love God one minute, how they were backslid on God the next minute, how God blessed them, and then in their blessing, they turned around and forgot the blessing. How God took care of them, but yet before morning, they was always complaining, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Is that much like us? And then we wonder, how we walk around in doubt and disbelief and discouragement and despondency. And we walk around and we wonder, can God do anything in this day? Yep. 
And because we lose heart and we faint in our day and we lose the faith that God has placed in us. And so what spiritual revival is and what an awakening is, is God breathing life back on the faith that's already there. It's God breathing breath back on the life that's already there. It's God giving hope back to the people that's already there. It's God instituting his power back in the people that's already experienced his power before. So revival is for the household of faith. Revival is for the house of God. Spiritual awakenings is for us that we can begin to go out of these four walls and make a difference on the outside. Not hide our light under a bushel. Not hide our faith under a bushel. Not not come to the place where we're them secret disciples. But that we walk out unashamed of the gospel of Christ, filled with the power of God, and we begin to influence a society for the cause of Christ. And that's what that early church did. Everywhere they went, they were impacting people for God. They were making a difference for Jesus Christ. They were loving people. They were ministering to people. And daily people were added to the church as should be saved. But now you go to the Old Testament before the church came along. And you see the parallel of how those that believed and died in faith how they a lot of times they would they would doubt God and they would they would question God and they would wonder could God help them in the midst of what they're facing and so many times they let the circumstances overwhelm them that they could not even see the God that was bigger than the circumstance and that sounds like me That sounds like you, because how many times do we look at the circumstance and the problem and we say there is no way that God could ever help in the midst of what we're facing. But you need to recognize that God is still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And what he was able to do yesterday, he's able to do today. He just needs to breathe on our faith. He just needs to energize our faith. He just needs to remind us again that he can still do what he said. And so many times we're forgetful. So many times we are, we are not mindful of God moving and working in our own lives. And then we wonder if he's not at work in our lives, then how in the world could he be at work in another person's life that don't even know him? And that's the reason we need revival. But as I've been trying to let you understand, revival is not something on the sign. Revival is not something that we post on Facebook and say, we're going to go a few more days. We're No, revival is a quickening, is an awakening, is a getting right with God that we see ourselves for who we are. And we forget about it's not my neighbor, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me. Lord, I stand in the need of revival. 
God, my home stands in the need of revival. My heart stands in the need of revival. And when we make it personal, then every person inside of old Savannah can have revival. Every person in this building. I don't have to go out of here dead. I don't have to go out of here living in the smoke. I don't have to go out of here wondering, can God do anything? I can go out of this thing knowing God can still do something. I can go out of this thing understanding my God is still alive and well and still on the throne and still hears and answers prayer. I don't have to go home discouraged or defeated. I don't have to hang my harp on the willow. I don't have to sing a sad song. I don't have to go out of this thing depressed. I don't have to go out of this thing in despondency. I don't have to go out of this thing questioning, wonder if God can do anything in this day. I can go out of here knowing that God is still well able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I could ever ask, think, or believe. But somebody has got to let God energize your faith. And somebody has got to let God give life back to what's been dying on the inside. And somebody's got to come to the place where they let breath come back into those bones again. And they walk out of here alive for the glory of God. And they begin to declare, he's Lord. He's my God. He's my Savior. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and they begin to present him to a lost and dying world making an impact for the glory of God but how does that happen that happens when God begins to quicken us when God begins to work on us when God begins to deal with us And I'm not so much looking for what God is doing inside of this particular service. I want to know what is God doing at your house? What is God doing when you're trying to sleep? I want to know what is God doing when you wake up in the morning? I want to know how is God shaking you in the midnight hour? How is God speaking to you? And all that you can think about is God working on you. That's an awareness of him trying to quicken us to be more like him. That's what we got to have. More than just meeting together in these four walls is God meeting with us and making himself aware to us and making himself known to us where we, every place we go, every time we try to go to bed, every time we wake up in the midnight, every time we get up in the morning, every time we step our foot out of our car to go to work, we're aware there's a big God that's following after me. There's a big God that's on my trail. There's a big God that's speaking to me more than noon and night. And I can't run away from him. I can't hide from him. He's on my trail. He knows where I'm at. He knows what I'm involved in. He knows what I'm doing. He knows where he wants to take me. He knows how he wants to help me. And I've just got to surrender to this big God and say, God, do what you're trying to do in my life. I want to be where you want me to be and for that to take place I've got to be willing you've got to be willing I can't throw up a stop sign and say now God that's far enough if you go any further you're minding my business 
And I don't like that. Huh? But we got to be willing and tender enough with God to say, Lord, would you speak to me? Not only here, but when I get in the car to go home. There's been services I've been in in times. I've been riding down the road, just me and the Lord. Minding my own business and God gets in the car with me and starts pointing things out to me. I don't like that. Can I get a witness? That's not fair. I can't even get away. He's got me hemmed up in the car going down the road. What is he doing? He's trying to quicken us, to shake us, to stir us, to get more like him. And for that to happen, we got to be willing. And we've got to get in that one mind and one accord relationship. And we got to have those hours and those times where suddenly he visits us and he deals with us and he confronts us. Now, what is going to take place and what is going to happen if we don't allow him the opportunity to do that for us. Think about that. What's going to happen to old Savannah Baptist Church in the years to come if Jesus tarries his coming? If we put up a roadblock and a stop sign and say well, he's, we've gone far enough. And, and we don't want any more. We, we've had all we can stand. Now follow with me. What's going to happen to our children? What's going to happen to our grandchildren? What's going to happen to those little ones that you were holding last night and this morning in church and you were holding that little baby in your arms? What's going to happen to that little child if we don't experience revival? Well, I want to go back to the Old Testament and I want to show you before we can ever get to the suddenly in the Old Testament what happened. In Second Chronicles chapter number 25, and, and I'm going to abbreviate these very quickly in your hearing, and I'm going to use a couple fellas in the church, and if you got back problems, just tell me when I look at you, because I want you to stand with me just as a representation of what the Scripture's saying. So can, can you stand with me? All right, now you come and stand right here. You're going to represent chapter number 25 in 2 Chronicles 25. Now, notice what it said. And Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. And notice verse number 2. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Do you know where the downfall always begins? It begins in my heart and yours. When my heart grows weary, when my heart grows cold, when my heart is indifferent with God, that's the beginning of backsliding. That is the beginning of walking away. That is the beginning of getting away from God. So here's Amaziah the king. 
He's supposed to be standing for Jerusalem. He's supposed to be standing for God. But he got lifted up in his own heart and he began to deceitfully walk away from God. Step one. Now notice in chapter number 26, we're going to go a step further. And in chapter number 26, there is Uzziah. So if you can stand, Brother Ira, can you stand for a minute? You stand right there beside of him. And you see that Uzziah, then all the people in verse number one took Judah, took unto them Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. And in verse number three, 16 years old, Uzziah, when he began to reign, he reigned 50 and two years in Jerusalem. But notice in verse number 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction for he transgressed against the Lord and his God. So not only was Amaziah, his father, lifted up with pride in his heart, but it passed it on to the next generation and Uzziah became lifted up and prideful in his own heart. And it progressed a step further. For in these verses, the scripture said that Amaziah and now Uzziah, when he was strong and his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God, and he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now notice what he did. He went in in the flesh, not as a priest, but as that king to mimic what the priest was doing inside of the temple. And God sent in Azariah the priest, went in after him, and with him fourscore the priests of the Lord that were, that were valiant men, powerful men with God. And they withstood Uzziah, the king and said unto him, it appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but the pre- but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for through uh, uh, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall be it for thine honor from the Lord God. Now notice verse number nineteen. Here's what I want you to see. Then Uzziah was wroth with them. So you've got Amaziah lifted up in pride. Then here's the next generation. His son Uzziah comes as priest or as king. And now he gets lifted up with pride. He gets lifted up in his own heart. He goes in and thinks he can take control of the temple of God. And when God sends the priest in after him, the man of God, and confronts him for his sin, he gets mad at the man of God. Sounds about like today. How many people... Got mad at good churches. It caused a split, division, and strife in good churches. The man of God tried to stand firm and stand true and stand right, but the people got mad. Dishonored God, left God out of it, 
And now those same churches that used to be vibrant, that used to be on fire, there's a word written over that called Ichabod, where God used to provide and used to reside. Huh? Here he got mad. He questioned the authority of God. Who do you think you are coming into me, the king, and telling me what I can do and what I can't do? Follow the progression. So you got one lifted up in pride. His heart was lifted up deceitfully. You got the other that went in and thought he could do what he wanted to do inside of the house of God. And now you come to chapter number 27. And, and, and come here. Stand beside of him if you can stand. And in chapter number 27, and Jotham was 20 and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And notice what the scripture said in verse number two, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit he entered not under the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. Here's what. Jotham said, he said, well, my daddy didn't even like God's men. He didn't even like the temple of the Lord. So why do I even need to go to the house of God? His heart, his desire, and now he comes to the place he don't even want God. He doesn't even want the temple of God. He doesn't even want the house of God. What has happened in America? This progression. What has happened in the church today? This progression. What has happened in the household of faith this day? This progression. That's the reason we can't find them on Sunday night and Wednesday night and and, and revival times because they don't even want the house of God. They've seen the hypocrisy. They've seen the game playing. They've seen us go through the motions and the mechanics time and time again. And they say, if this is what all this worship is all about. I don't even want no part of it. I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to leave the house of God. I'm not even going to enter into the house of God and I just don't want any part of it. And we wonder why our college and career age and our youth and our and our young adults don't want anything to do with God is because they've seen the hypocrisy at the house of God for so long that they've watched us not even be real in front of them. Now, now, am I not barking up the right tree? Now, follow with me. This is what's happened in America. This is what's happened over the last years of our nation. This is what's happened inside of the house of God. And then we wonder, they don't even want anything to do with God or the things of God. And he said, if my daddy doesn't want it, I don't want it. And he entered not into the house of the Lord. Now, follow with me. That's chapter in 2 Chronicles. That's chapter number 27. Now we come to chapter number 28. And Bob, you get up there with him. And Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem 
But notice what it says. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. It got so bad that Ahaz began to walk away from God and he started going further than his fathers did. That notice what happens in the rest of this portion. I'm not going to read it for sake of time. But Ahaz started taking the altars out of the house of God. Ahaz started taking the temple, the the things of worship out of the house of God. Ahaz started cutting the benches of the altars in pieces out of the house of God. He started taking them to the four corners of, of Jerusalem and Israel. And he started burning incense to the gods of that world. Not the big God Jehovah, G-O-D, but the little gods uh, in, in, in that day. And he started started worshiping with molten images to Balaam and to the society that he was involved in. And he started desecrating the household of God and the temple of God. And it got so bad, he even shut the doors of the house of God. He locked the house of God. He did the spot to the house of God. He walked away from the house of God. And I'm telling you, if we don't have a spiritual awakening, we're just a few hours away of letting a crowd go to Washington, D.C. that'll start putting bylaws and laws in institutions that'll say you no longer have the privilege to worship. You no longer have the privilege to worship the God of the creation. We don't believe he's real and we're going to do despite to him and we're going to start shutting down churches. We're going to put preachers in prison. We're going to put people in prison that believe that nonsense and they They're just a few hours away if we don't have a spiritual awakening again at the house of God to shutting the doors of the house of the Lord. And this is what Ahaz did. It all started because Amaziah was lifted up in his own self. It all started with his heart. And it began to progress all the way down the line that they said, we don't want anything to do with it. And we're going to shut the doors and we're going to desecrate the house of God. You say it'll never get that way in America. Do you understand there's people running in politics right now? That we have more Islamic people in Washington than we've ever had that do not like your God, that does not like what Jesus is and who he is and would do everything in their power to make fun. That's why they're making fun of Israel. That's why they're making fun of God's, uh, the God of Israel. That's why they would want to stand and have a caliphate inside of Washington, D.C. And now there's more politicians running that are atheistic, that are non-believers, 
believers that are people that do not believe in your faith and they want to stand against your faith. They want to stand against your God. And while we've been playing religious games at the house of God and we've kept our mouth quiet at the house of God and we've not gotten involved in the things of this world and stood for truth and right and righteousness, then we're just a few hours away. If God don't intervene, that they'll come inside of churches like this, they'll padlock the back door and they'll stand there with guns and say, you can't go in. And when a preacher tries to unlock it, they'll lock him up and put him in a prison cell somewhere. But I say, praise God, let them put me in a prison cell by the grace of God. I want to keep on preaching and keep on believing and keep on trusting because I know my God is real and alive and well. But do you understand the progression of how close we are to what I just read to you? You say, I don't believe that'll ever happen. I'm telling you, if we don't have a spiritual quickening and we change directions one little bit, I'm telling you, that crowd wants to take us down. That crowd wants to stop our voices. That crowd wants to uh, uh, this do away with what we believe and what we trust in. And that's the reason we need revival. Yes. Now, follow with me. If you take all of these kings in progression... And you follow with them. They all progressed a little further in every circumstance and got a little worse. And they went a little further away from the God that they knew about. And if you study that out, that was over 120 years where Israel saw no working of God in their midst. Over 120 years where the temple was desecrated. Over 120 years in this progression where they had walked away with no God in their pathway. But if I left us there, you'd say, man, you're a sorry preacher. But I'm glad always in the midst of darkness, God knows how to break through. And I'm glad always in the midst of despair, God knows how to deliver. And I'm glad always in the midst of when it looks hopeless, God knows how to give hope in the midst of what we're facing. And this story is no different. It looked hopeless. It looked helpless. It looked like there was no way out. And it looked like there was no way they'd ever progress. But the way they were going, but God, but God, but God. God came to them and intervened on their behalf and gave mercy and grace and truth to them in the midst of their despair. And if God could do that in the midst of what they were facing, hallelujah, can't my God in this day and hour do that for you and do that for me to give hope in the midst of a hopeless generation and to give help in the midst of a helpless generation. And now you turn the page of time and you come to chapter number 29. And God 
raises up a young man to take over. And surely he's going in the same direction as his fathers and his forefathers. And surely he's going in the same direction of all those other men. But God raised up a unique individual by the name of Hezekiah that did not look at what his fathers did and did not look at how they had walked away from God and did not look at how bad the circumstances was and did not look at how bad they were going and what they had done and how they had desecrated their God. But old Hezekiah said, let me go way beyond them. Let me go back to David, my father, and begin to look at how he worshiped in the temple, how he praised in the temple. How he glorified God in the temple and he bypassed that whole crowd and he went back to where somebody knew God and he said, that's what I want again at the house of God. And God raised up Hezekiah that wanted to see God move. Put your Bible down. So Hezekiah came on the scene. He looked around and he saw the desecration at the house of God. He saw how they had deliberately walked out of God's will. He saw how that they had forgotten God, how they had loved the world and loved their flesh and how they wanted to to do what they wanted to do instead of God's will. And little Hezekiah said, give me what I used to enjoy. Give me what they used to have. Give me the breath of God, how they used to enjoy. Give me the the things of God and he bypassed that whole crowd and he went back to David and he said hey would you show me how to have revival at the temple would you show me what God can still do and God blessed them and God touched them and God anointed them and God let them see great things that they thought they'd never see again because one young man said I don't want it that way I don't want what they used to have I don't want the blessing of those men on me. I want the blessing of God on me. And he followed after God. And God blessed them. And touched them. That God did something unusual in them. You say, what happened, preacher? Come on with me. Hezekiah. Began to reign when he was five and 20 years old. Let me just throw this in. There's four generations that did not want God. Here comes the fifth. In all of Scripture, from the Old and the New Testament, the number five represents grace, represents mercy. God raised up the fifth one to give mercy. God raised up the fifth one to give grace. God raised up the fifth one to give hope. God raised up the fifth one to give life. God raised up the fifth one to give breath. God raised up the fifth one to say, praise God. I'm going to show you what I can still do. It's not over. Hallelujah. It may look like the doors are shut. It may look like that there's no way at the temple they'll ever worship again. It may look like There's no way that the altars will ever be filled again. But I'm not over. I'm not done. There's something big about to happen. You just watch what I can do. And God raised up the fifth generation. And said, I want God 
Notice what happens. Are you still with me? And Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and 20 years old. And he reigned nine and 20 years in Jerusalem. Notice verse two. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had shown him and done. He didn't mention Ahaz. He didn't mention Amaziah. He didn't mention Jotham. He didn't mention all of the others. But he mentioned David. He said, I want what David used to have. I want to know the God of David. I want to know the blessing of what they enjoyed. Notice verse number three. He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He said, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to cut them locks off. The first thing we're going to do is cut them chains asunder. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to open the house of God back up and welcome him back in his house. Oh, what would happen tonight if we'd cut some chains, we'd cut some locks off, we'd open the doors and say, oh God, breathe on us, breathe on us, breathe on us again. Oh, spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us again let the door be opened up where God could visit us one more time and after he opened the doors of the house of the Lord the scripture said he repaired them he responded to God working he repaired them And in verse number four, and he brought the priest and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. He repaired the house of God. He reopened the house of God. And he repented in the house of God. He said, oh God, carry forth this filthiness out of this place. Don't let us stop what you're wanting to do. Don't let us discredit the glory of God. Don't let us begin to grieve or quench what you want to do. And he said, oh God, please let the priest come in there and begin to clean the temple of God. We're repenting. We're wanting to get right. We want your blessing again. We want your anointing again. We want your touch again. We want your visitation again. And we reopen it. We repair it. And we begin to repent inside. In the begin after that repentance. To remove all the stuff that would hinder God working inside the temple. He was serious about seeing God move. He was serious about seeing God work. If we follow the progression of what we have been on the last 30 years, we're just a generation of two away from this. 
even in the mountains. Huh? Even in the south. Even in the Bible Belt. We're just a generation or two away from them taking control of the household of faith. And we would have to begin home churches and house churches and underground churches like they do in third world countries because Christ was guarded and tried to be shut down in those areas. That the only way they could worship is go underground to do it. You said that'll never happen. It happened then. We're following the same path. But God sends Hezekiah. I don't have time to go through all of this. But notice verse 10, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. That his fierce wrath may turn away from us. He was smart enough to understand if God don't have mercy on them, they're done. If God don't have mercy on our families, what hope do they have? If God don't have mercy on our churches, what hope do they have? If God don't have mercy on our communities, what hope do they have? They'll continue to walk away from God. They'll continue to have a stone-facedness in front of us. They'll continue to to, to deny and rebel and don't want to hear what you have to say. What makes a difference is when God begins to quicken them and begins to make them aware of His presence and power then they will listen and then they will understand and their light, their eyes will be open and their hearts will be enlightened where they can understand the truth and the knowledge of the truth. But if Satan has his way, then they're going to continue in their sin and Hezekiah knew that. And he said, God, would you please have mercy on us? And he said to the priest in verse 16, Enter into the part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And he brought out all the uncleanliness and they, that they found in the temple of the Lord, in the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and they carried it abroad under the brook Kildren. Now they begin the first day in the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day, of the month came they came to the porch of the lord and they came to the saint to the sanctuary and sanctified the house of the lord in the in 8 days and in the 16th day of the first month they made an end and then they went in to hezekiah the king and said we have cleansed all the house of the lord and the altar of the burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof and moreover all the vessels which the king Ahaz in, in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified and the Lord uh, uh, and behold they are before the altar of the Lord 
In verse 20, And Hezekiah the king rose up and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. Let me show you what happened very quickly. And Hezekiah commanded them in verse 27 to burn, burn offerings upon the altar. And the congregation, verse 28, worshiped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of the offering and the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves down and worshiped. Moreover, Hezekiah, the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praises unto the Lord with the words of David. And they began to sing and they began to worship. And then verse 31, Hezekiah answered and said, Now we have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. You know what they started doing? He said, Now everybody in in and around the community, start bringing your sacrifice. Get right with the Lord. Not only did he get right himself, not only did he repent for the other generations, not only did he bring the Levites in and say, cleanse the house of God and make it prepared and ready for the glory of God again. He said to the people now, They made the house of God ready. Start bringing in your sacrifices. Start bringing in your thank offerings. Start coming to God and repenting and worshiping him. Come back to the house of God. And there was a declaration and a decree that went out all over the land. And they started coming from everywhere bringing those offerings. In verse 32, and the number of the burnt offerings which the congregation brought was threescore and ten bullocks and hundred and a hundred rams and uh, two hundred lambs and all that were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And verse 34 says, but the priests were too few so that they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore they, wherefore their brethren, the Levites did help them till the work was ended and until all the priests had sanctified themselves for the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves in the priests. You say, what's it saying? They had so big of a response in the revival that the priests present couldn't even handle what all God was doing. And they started to let the neighboring priests come and say, hey, would you come help us? We can't flay all the, all the sacrifices. We can't handle all the response. And from the community abroad, they started coming from everywhere to the temple of God. And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Notice verse 36. And Hezekiah was sad. 
Hezekiah rejoiced. And all the people that God had prepared the people. For the thing was done, what? Suddenly. The same word in the Old Testament that's mentioned in Acts chapter number 2, suddenly. And when revival came to the household of God in the Old Testament, suddenly the people worshiped. The people gave, the people sacrificed, the people labored, and the king set up and rejoiced. And praise God, for the Lord had come back to his house. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Love, kindness. And how many of us inside the house of God, if we got what we deserve because our heart's been lifted up with pride, we've not been willing to to repent. We've not been willing to, and literally our temple, our heart, it doesn't have to be this physical location. But that temple that God's given you in your heart is just like Ahaz. You've shut the door. You've locked the door. You've taken away his sacrifice of praise. And you've started worshiping your own gods instead of the true and the living God because of the day we live in. And if there's ever been a time We need some Hezekiahs at the house of God that'll say, Lord, start with me. God, start with me. Let me open it up. Let me reopen my own heart before you. See the parallel? What would happen if we would just reopen our hearts toward God? What would happen if we would just get in tune with God again? What could God do if we would become aware of him moving toward us? What could happen? There's been many a churches came to these crossroads that you're at tonight. And... They're good churches to this day. They, there's people in them that love God. But they never have been what they could have been if they'd have opened up their heart to God. Still sing every Sunday morning. Still have services. Still have meetings. Still have camp meetings and All of those things, but they've never had that spirit of revival that they could have had because somewhere they became Ahaz and they locked it down when God wanted to open it up. So tonight, we can either stop with where 
we're headed as a nation, or we can plead for God to give us mercy and grace. And as the prophets of old said, God, I'd much rather have your mercy than your wrath any day. Those families saw the glory of God again. Those communities witnessed the glory of God again. Those churches and those communities inside of there experienced the glory of God again. Because they were willing to open their heart and say, Lord, start with me. In all actuality, Hezekiah should have went the same direction. But God had mercy. In all actuality, we should continue the way we've been going for years. But could it be God's trying to show us mercy? God is trying to give us grace and help. Thank you, fellas. I've been trying to give you a story. 2,000 years ago, that account was probably 3,000 years ago. This account was from 1820 to 1952, which was recorded here, and then went on beyond that. 120 years, this crowd knew no God. 120 years, this crowd experienced God every day. It's a difference. 120 years, they didn't want God. 120 years, they followed after God. And in every account in this great awakening called the Lewis Revival, every generation passed it on to the next generation. So let's say in the 1820s in Ugg is the name of that town and that community, they experienced their first awakening in the little town called Ugg. Ugg. U-L-L-G, I think's how it's spelled. From that generation to the next generation, there's a period of time when they got cold, when they got indifferent. They grew up another generation under them of young people, children, that had not experienced the first revival in 1820. And so there was a group of people that had remembered what God did then and said, we don't want our children to grow up without knowing that kind of God. So they'd get busy praying, they'd get serious with God, and sure enough, God would show up. Generation, 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 generation. They were not satisfied with their generation dying off and not passing it on to the next generation. Get that. They were not satisfied with just letting their grandchildren and children grow up without knowing the power and the presence of God. And so those believers would become 
great prayer warriors and intercessors, and they would begin to pray, and they'd begin to beg God and begin to work. And this is the story from Alexander McLeod. And this is in point, another community inside of the Hebrides Islands, the Lewis area. And the first outpouring in 1934, now get this, the spirit in which I was involved was in 1934. This is one of the preachers, J, uh, Reverend William Campbell, who was there from 1926 to 1962 who experienced all these decades of revivals. He said, in the spirit in which I was involved in 1934, uh, there was much spiritual darkness at that time. One generation had forgot what God had did. One group of people had walked away from what God had done. One group of people left the will of God and got cold and got caught up in the busyness of the day. And he said there was great darkness that came upon the land. Oh, God, help us now. Huh? And, And notice what happens. He said the first awareness we had of a change in ourselves and in others was when we met together in prayer meetings. And we began to pray. He said those old timers that seen God work in the past started trying to share stories with the next generation of how God worked then. And if he was the same then, he was the same now. What is that? That's showing another man's faith. That's showing another man's exercising of what God has done, trying to get this generation and the next generation to reflect for a moment that God is still a big working God and God is still at work in these days. And they started reflecting. They started talking. They started having these prayer meetings. And and there was... There was a oneness of spirit as we engaged in these prayer services and it increased with a burden as we interceded in the outpouring of the spirit in that community. This led as the Lord's people to have more gatherings together. There seemed to be a a compilation compensation or a a compulsion to pray and we all began to do it i recall that at that time one of the ministers reverend william campbell of such blessed memory preached in ezekiel chapter number 37 and as and as the account of ezekiel was read the experiences in the valley of the dry bones halfway through his sermon He stopped preaching and began to pray. I've never known this to happen before, but the spirit was so strong and the outpouring was so strong among the people that the entire congregation began to weep uncontrollably as to say, oh God, give breath back to these dead bones. He said, I have a vivid recollection of this time as we came from the meeting and we came across young men and women 
on the road back home weeping and praying that the Lord would have mercy upon them. They said as they begin to cry with a oneness of heart, with the desire for God, and to say, God, give these bones life again, that they said the breath of God and the convicting power of God begin to be released in the communities. And as they were on their road home, they would find groups of people and groups of teenagers and groups of young adults and groups of individuals on the road home at night under conviction and weeping before God. No service, no preacher, no announcement, just God moving, an awareness of God. And they said that they started weeping and they started crying out to God. He said many were saved at that time. We held services in our own village to 10 p.m. at night and after the prayer meetings on Sunday nights, there were house meetings after that. You remember I told you the other night they'd start at 7 and they'd go to about 9 or 10 o'clock. They'd go take tea at the manse, which was the parsonage or the house around there. And then after that, they would go to house meetings and they would go to lost people's houses. And the way they would recognize that people were being bothered, they would have their light on on the porch, which was an invitation, please come and minister in my house. And they would leave those services. And they said as they were walking in the darkness, 10, 11, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, they would look back and see the lights flickering on in the community behind them. And they would stand in reverence in the presence of a holy God, understanding God was at work in their community. I'm talking about bigger than old Savannah. I'm talking about beyond these little walls of containment. I'm talking about a breath of God that gets in the community, that gets in our homes, that gets in the school system, that gets in the community businesses, that begins to work in a magnitude that everywhere people are confronted by the power of a living God. They said them lights started flickering on behind them. And one of the prayer warriors that was in that meeting, a young man, in this same story, had went home. And his mother, it's already 1 o'clock in the morning now. There was five young ladies that was at one of those houses And one of their family members come by the house and notice the lady of the house has the light on, which is an invitation. We need somebody to talk to us. Their family member comes in so afraid to do anything to hurt God, said, I don't know how to talk to him. We just got to pray. Those five young ladies were sitting there in the window ledge under conviction weeping. 
And the woman of the house, the mother of the house said, we got to pray that God will send somebody that can preach to us and tell us how we can get relief from what we're facing. This young man had just got home one o'clock in the morning, had just shut the door to his house, was sitting there drinking tea at his house with his mother. And he said, mother, I must leave. Something is happening up the street. His mother said, son, you've been gone all night. He said, I know, mother, but there's somebody at stake up the road. And the Holy Spirit has just convinced me I need to leave and walk that way until I see the light on. Hallelujah. He walks up the road. Sure enough, there's the light on of that mother of the house with those five daughters in that house. He walks in, begins to share Christ with those five young ladies. Those five young ladies get saved by the grace of God. And again, they said at the moment when they cried out to God that the house that they were meeting in shook under the power of God. And there was a boy that was their brother in the basement of the house that had just been to one of those meetings that said, I don't want anything to do with that. And they said at that moment when those five girls got saved and the house shook, that that boy come under conviction down in the basement and started crying out to God and he got saved by the grace of God. That was during their busy work season. And they said they would go to two and three and four o'clock in the morning. And they would come home, rest for an hour, go straight to the field to work. And they said it was like they never missed a beat or never missed a moment and was never tired because of the supernatural power of God working on them. Oh, God, help my faith and help me in my unbelief. And Reverend Campbell said, that I witnessed for myself how God began to work in the island of Lewis. And he said, I've witnessed how God's convicting power began to change life after life. And he said, he announced that the Lord in the 1949 awakening was about to do great things again. And sure enough, God began to move on their community. And the people began to pray. And the people began to witness. And the people began to experience the power of God. More than just on the sign. More than us just saying we're going to meet Sunday through Wednesday. 
But somebody getting hungry. Somebody getting thirsty. Somebody stating, if God could do that 3,000 years ago, if God could do that 2,000 years ago, if God could do that in the Great Awakening, if God could do that in the early days of the church, if God could do that then, and if God could do that in 1949, 1952, up in the 1960s, could not God do that now? Could not God help us now? And I really believe one day we're going to be guilty. We're going to stand before God. And then he's going to be sad. He's going to show us all the things that he could have done for us. But because I had my door locked and I had my heart closed, that I refused to see what he could do. Father, tonight, as we leave this place, let us stew. Let us even begin to contemplate and reflect. Oh God, are you speaking to me? And God, as we leave these services, would you speak to us in the midnight hour? God, there'd be some people that you'd wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. And they may not get out of their bed, but they'll reflect for a few moments. God, you dealing with them. And God, you showing them grace and mercy. God, I pray there'd be some people that wake up in the morning before they go to work and they'd seek your face. They'd draw nigh to you as you draw nigh to them. And God, if we're going to see our communities transformed, it's got to begin at the house of God. There must be a transformation in us first if we're going to see a transformation in them. And God, even this morning... People that were here that you're dealing with. So caught up in the trance of sin. Couldn't break through what they were facing because there wasn't enough power to deliver at the house of God. God, one day we're going to give an account because we played games at your house. When there was opportunity for us to reopen the house of God. And to see things that we never imagined could ever come to pass again. That's what we need in the igniting of our faith. A little spark on our faith. A little breath on our faith. God that can begin to work in our communities. And in the area around us. So, Lord, I pray that we would take our assignment home again tonight. Lord, search me. Then, Lord, let me pray for each other. And then, Lord, let me get a glimpse of those around me that need you. God, give me eyes of compassion and a heart that is broken 
and a desire to see them change by your grace. And God, begin those works in us and confront us and make us aware of your presence. And I pray you'd become so near and so real to us, we'd begin to walk so cautiously and so carefully not to do anything to hurt you in what you want. Lord, we love you tonight. And Lord, all you're trying to do is make us better. All you want to do is let us see the potential of what we can be as the church of the living God. That we're not supposed to go home in defeat and discouragement, but God, we're supposed to go home in the victory of what you can still do in this day. God, you can still save old sinners. You can still change lives. You can still impact homes and families. God, you can still go to the lost. You can still go to church members. God, you can still revive the house of God. You're just looking for some candidates somewhere that would say, I'm thirsty. Pour water upon me that is thirsty and floods upon my dry ground. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us. Lord, help us to invite people. Lord, help us to to pray for people. God, give us a burden for people. And God, I pray that you help us to never be the same again after these days. God, don't let us turn back on what you've got and what you've done and what you want to do in our lives. But God, let us put the pedal to the metal, gas in the tank. God, let us go to glory, serving you to the best of our ability, loving you with all of our hearts. And Jesus will thank you and praise you. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and amen.